0: It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me all the way from London, Gerald Vanderpoy. Gerald is founder and CEO of BuyerDeck. It's a UK-based company, well, at least for now, UK-based sales enablement and collaboration platform. Gerald, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, I wasn't trying to like pressure you about moving the company, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I I had heard a rumor that maybe you were relocating. Yeah, that's a good rumor. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, take a minute before we get into that part of the story. Take a minute, introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself. Maybe how you got your start in sales.
1: Sure. And then you can tell us when you're moving over here. Cool. Yeah. So, um, firstly, ignore my slightly American twang. I think my heart is in is in San Francisco, San Diego, uh, somewhere <laughs> in Austin, maybe. Uh, but my body is definitely still in London. Not to say I don't love London, but uh, I'm definitely destined to move there. Um, my favorite people are Americans. So yes, I said it, um, and that's why I have that accent. Um, but well, indeed,
0: <laughs> your accent doesn't really sound very American. Just FYI, it does. It does sound
1: quite quite British still. Right, I I hope it does because I kind of like my British accent and I want to sound British because whenever I'm in the U.S., everybody loves it. But when I'm in the UK, everyone thinks I'm American, so it's really, really screwed up right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rest assured, you you still, sure. still sound British. Thank you. I will take that. But yes, my um, I am. Um, uh, my name is Gerald, and I'm CEO and co-founder of Bydeck. My background is very much sales. I've spent some time with Rackspace, which is the, one of the greatest company I've worked for. Prior to that, I've been with Sun Microsystems, which is now with Oracle, and um, a few other companies. But yeah, my passion is sales, and I, I, I'm now um, changing the way that companies buy and sell. All right. Well, we're going to jump into
0: that. So but let's first talk about let's talk about your your plans to relocate the company. That's I know I keep coming back to that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm always trying to yeah recruit entrepreneurs to come here.
1: Right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the, the truth is. Um, the space that we're in, I think the early adopters is naturally in the U.S. Seventy percent of our customers and users are in the U.S. Um, a lot of my advisors and investors are in the U.S. We have, um, you know, the some of the, the San Antonio government trying to uh, trying to entice us to move there, and and we have that um, we know we have to do that, but it's just about timing and, and 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 doing it at the right time. So really, we have a goal as a company. Uh, we might get there in the next sort of six months, and um and we have a very tight. A tough choice to make between um, Austin, San Antonio, San Francisco, and maybe San Diego. San Diego. Yeah, well, I, you know which one I would vote for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, um,
0: okay. but yeah, but, I mean, that's for people who don't know. I mean, I split my time between San Diego and New York, so yeah, San Diego would certainly be one of one of the choices. I mean, Austin, great place, you know, a dynamic environment, great barbecue. Very close to San Antonio, so yeah, a lot of the same influences in terms of quality of life and so on. San Francisco, fabulous mm-hmm. place, maybe the most expensive of those, but maybe not so expensive compared to San, to London.
1: Right, it's a tough choice, and and I have very, two very important reasons to consider San Diego. So there you go. It's it's let's put it this way: it's going to be between Texas and California. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
0: think we got that. I think we got that point. Okay. All right. So. Let's dive into Buyer Deck then cuz you know you are a new company you're you right. are starting to sell the product so so what what does Buyer Deck do what was the impetus for starting the company what what was the problem you're trying to solve
1: Right so as i said i i think i spent about two and a half years ago I was working for Rackspace and I, I worked um, and I remember I, uh, working as, a, as an enterprise sales rep selling to large companies and and just being really passionate about how buyers buy from us and, and sales enablement. I remember creating lots of tools that was used by the entire sales floor to, just to help people with uh, finding the right content and, and just you know having the right playbooks and, and people used to use the tools that I created. Very, I mean they were just basic tools but people loved that. Uh, and There's a. I remember Just most of my buyers Loving working with me And I was doing pretty well I was in the top One percentile But I always found that As a company Rackspace delivered A, a really remarkable product And that was The majority of the reason We won uh, A lot of times Was because of the product However Whenever we lost And whenever it was Really competitive I found that It was usually Because The sales experience And the buying experience Wasn't remarkable We were Probably average, you know, in in the way that we delivered, um, we, we we sold. There was a specific example. Well, actually, just uh, just in the deals you lost, you thought on average you were yeah, just average, yeah, right? I think I think as a company we should have won a lot more than we did, and 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 the ones that we lost, it was mostly the feedback we got was mostly to do with the the. The way that we were selling and the experience that we were delivering to the stakeholders, and it was—it's because it was complex sales, and and I began to kind of think about this a lot more, and and well, as a particular, yeah, go on. Well,
0: complex sales meaning that, given sort of the length and the complexity of the sale, that it was hard to maintain a consistency across the the breadth of the sales process or the buying process.
1: Right, right, uh, and that so I define complex sales as uh, really three three factors. One, the deal size is usually over ten k in, in in average deal size. There are multiple stakeholders, which is really important, and then you've got a long sales cycle. So those three factors makes the deal complex for both selling and for buying. Okay. Yeah. And and our rackspace these were the typical kind of deals that we were working on. In fact, there's a we were, uh, I was working on one of the largest deals at Rackspace and um and uh- I, I had forecasted the deal to happen, Andy, and uh, and my my CEO at the time says, Gerald, it's three weeks in, you haven't had uh, uh, we haven't had heard anything from the buyer. Can you give us an executive overview of what's going on? So I summarized uh, exactly what's going on, who we're selling to, why they're buying from us, who's involved, you know, the deal size all the, 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 the details of the deal and I emailed it to the internal stakeholders. Of course, there's the VP of sales, there's the CEO, there's the pre-sales guys, there's legal, there's all sorts of uh, different guys that are helping me with the deal. And I made a mistake and I copied in the buyer on what was supposed to be an internal email. And my VP of sales who was in San, in San Antonio at the time emails me and says, Gerald, you idiot. Were you supposed to copy in the buyer on this email? It turns out the buyer comes back to us and says, Gerald, thanks for this. He <laughs> thinks it's intentional, by the way. And, right. he, and he says, thanks for this. You know what? This is exactly what I needed to sell internally to my stakeholders about, about why we're considering you. So anyway, cut kind a of long story short, this unintentional transparency leads to us winning one of the largest, deal, in fact, the largest deal in the UK at the time. And the bit of the story that people always forget because uh, the CEO asked me hey why did we win this deal what did we do differently the bit they forget is when the buyer read the email he said Gerald you know a lot of these assumptions you've made are actually not right it's not quite right and it, it, it just highlighted how bad of an experience the buyer or how below like you know it was average right they were having and and just having all this information allowed us to really deliver a much better experience and that led as to us winning the deal.
0: So what were the expectations or the assumptions you had that were, were wrong?
1: Sure. So some of it was about why they were buying. Some of it was about the internal sort of selling and who needed to be bought in and why and what they cared about. So when you're doing complex sales, there's multiple stakeholders and everybody cares about different things. So how the the primary buyer goes about selling it, uh, the uh, the well delivering the value proposition internally is unique to the different stakeholders. And of course, the timing is uh, 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 when the deal is going to happen is a key assumption that typically we get wrong. That I got wrong, um, and and also a lot of some of it was about the solution. So there were fundamentally there was a lot of things that I had kind of assumed because they just agree that yes, it it should be the case, but it wasn't a. It wasn't a consensus, you know, from the, all the, the stakeholders. So how did you get that changed around? Right. So, I mean, just him seeing that alone was enough, right? It, it just allowed us to have this conversation around, well, no, Gerald, this is what it is. And, and we were able to get to a point where we were we were in agreement or at least the different stakeholders could can have input in it and, and, and get us to a point where we, all the dots were in line, as they say. And, and, and I think that really helped us you know, deliver a, a, a better experience for them and for, specifically for the primary contact.
0: And so <laughs> this inadvertent transparency, how did that then help you sort of have this epiphany about, geez, here's a need in the market
1: that we can fill? Right. So so I, I, I'm then invited to a boardroom to discuss how such a hero, Gerald, you've just won the largest deal that we can win. I'm thinking, well, phew, I, I, I would have lost that deal. But they've asked me to present this um, and, and sort of explain what what we've done right and what we can learn and the lessons learned. And actually, I turned this around and I said, well, actually, this is a great learning for me because I realized that even though we had a remarkable product, this, the buying experience we were delivering was beyond. Was far. It was. It wasn't anywhere close to being a great experience for the buyer. And the question that we should be asking within the sales organization is. Are we delivering a sale, a a remarkable buying experience to the people that are buying from us the same way that our product is remarkable, right? And is that experience allowing us to differentiate ourselves from the competition, Because during that period, that's really all we have is this differentiation and the way that we're selling, how responsive we are, how, you know, how we're validating our assumptions, how we're listening and how we are, you know, how that entire experience really is critical. So I was tasked with really putting this into practice and thinking about how do we deliver a remarkable experience for every buyer that comes through the door. And we tried to do this. We, we built some systems. We built some, you know, some some rules and some processes around setting the bar at Remarkability. And that was really difficult to do. So I said, hey, I need a budget. I need to build some software around this. Um, I, I didn't get the budget. I got frustrated. So I said, hey, I'm going to leave and I'm going to build this. And today we've really, we've built a buy-in portal that brings all those stakeholders that I've talked about into one single location to communicate, collaborate transparently around the key um, insights and, and, and key points of the deal during the, that, that entire sales and buying experience. And now RightSpace is a customer uh, as well as some larger names. So yeah, I hope that paints a clearer picture. Okay, well, we're going to dive into sort of this this
0: portal because several sort of key buzzwords in there. I mean, transparency is one, obviously, collaboration portal. So, why don't we start with maybe let's say the portal and tell people so sort of what it does, what you're intending that it, that it does, how maybe some customers are using it now, and right. then I want to I want to get into this whole aspect of transparency. And so on because to me transparency is not really a, a feature of a product; it's really a
1: behavior. Right, right, and you're you're absolutely right. So I'll start with the portal. So think of it this way: every time uh, one of our customers, uh, so a sales rep, has an opportunity, they rather than rather than just thinking of it as an opportunity, they think of the opportunity as a project between his internal stakeholders that are helping him deliver this experience to the buyer and the buyers and the buyers stakeholders, and we and they create a portal that brings so, in talking about a sales opportunity. Right, go ahead, just to clarify. Absolutely. So the sales opportunity is converted into a, a, a project between the buying team and the selling team. And we help them bring all those stakeholders that are involved in one single location. We then house all the, uh, all the different aspects of the deal, in, 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 all the different pieces of content and, and questions and answers in one single location for all, all stakeholders to have access to. So this portal becomes the single place where proposals are shared, marketing materials shared. If there are questions that needs to be asked, if there is instant communication that needs to happen, um, everything is housed in this single location, making the buying experience for the buyer completely differentiated, but also really easy for them to ask any of the salespeople or there's a question whenever they want to. So it's saying, okay,
0: we're instead of communicating via or sharing via email, email. or social right. or whatever we're gonna do this all through this portal that everybody has access to. Right. And so how do you get the um, how do you get the buyer, I guess to right. agree to use the portal as um, as the tool that they'll use for their buying process as the way to right. share and receive information?
1: Right, really good question. So I, I I think to go back to email, which is really what we're what we're replacing here for uh, for this particular use case, is email is great for one-on-one communication when you have three, four, five stakeholders on, on, on your side and you have five plus stakeholders on this on the, on the buyer side it really isn't the most um, the best tool for collaborating and, and and I think we've lived with email for a long time now and there's a lot of companies that are dis- uh, disrupting it for specific use cases and we think for buying and selling we can do a much better job than just using email to do this but you're right the question is how do you get the buyer to move out of the tool that they're used to into a new tool? Well, what we do is we, don't, we present the tool in a way to the buyer that doesn't, mean, doesn't, doesn't require them to sign up, doesn't require them to, um, it really is a two-click process from, email, from their email, they click on a link and it opens the portal. From that moment, we make sure that it's secure to them, their laptop, their IP address, nobody else can access it. And it means that for them, it's completely seamless and they can go back to it at any point. But they still have to use it. Well, right, they can still use email. <laughs> so of that's what I'm getting is, is
0: yeah. So let's say you send an email to a customer. Right. Does it automatically get copied into the portal then?
1: Right. So when it, if you send an email to a customer, of course it's not copied into the portal. We assume that because you're sending an email, it's a private email, right? But if you wanna if you wanna have an instant communication with a customer, you've got to use uh, you've got to use Biodec. And for the, the the buyer, the reason they would use our tools is because hey, all the content's there and all the people are there instantly. Not not an email that's gonna that that requires that might mean you're waiting maybe hours before you get a response. They and can just click the link and they can talk to the salesperson or whoever's involved instantly.
0: So is that set up with uh, sort of? Uh, methodology that it's like a, a workspace so that they they know if you're online, the buyer comes online, they have a question, they can tell whether you're available.
1: Right. And that's the beauty of it. So, I mean, you of all people should, uh, uh, I'm sure, agrees with us uh, on the importance of resp- Responsiveness from the salesperson. And that's one of the major reasons, uh, fundamentals around delivering a great buying experience, which is, yeah, if the buyer comes online, you should know that, hey, this buyer is thinking about you right now. They probably have a question. They're probably out of, uh, they, they, they want to get, they're looking to educate themselves or to ask you a question. So for a rep, we notify them instantly and it means they're ready to respond and, and beat the competition. Okay. So um,
0: let's sort of, Walk through. So, from a salesperson's perspective, a use case, because uh, you know there are these collaborative tools, a set of collaborative tools that are emerging in the sales space. You know, some bleeding over from sort of workspace collaboration, others more purpose built, like your own. Is so, how are how is a salesperson using them, and what are you finding in terms of adoption
1: within your clients? Right. Yeah. So we have, we have within our client base, um, we probably have about 60% of salespeople within the organizations that we use, use it religiously. Now the other 40%, we know that, Hey, they will, they will over a year, it would take them some time to kind of come on board and use it. But there are just um, individuals that that have that just that are stuck in their ways, and I, I think we know that that's going to change in, with time. But we know that the reps that use it drive a huge amount of engagement on their opportunities. They have a higher close rate, and they can see directly which buyers are truly engaged. And we know that out of the buyers that they engage with, around twenty eight percent of those buyers are actually completely disengaged, probably not a good fit, or are not ready to buy from them. And those sales reps that are used in our tool can focus their time on truly buyers that are qualified. Yeah, I mean, certainly it does
0: become a, a level of qualification, right? If you are setting up a a portal, as you said, it's instant, two clicks, no right. sign, no sign in required. You tell the customer, hey, this is how we want to communicate with you. We think, you know, here are the value of doing that. And then they don't engage, then, and you have those analytics. I presume that that tell you, you know, hey, they've come to the site X number of times, or they open these documents, or so on and so forth. Right. Then, and you can share the analytics you do have. Is is then, yeah, that's a great sign. You know, these people they're just not worth more of my time.
1: Right. Right. And and for the reps, I mean, there, the it really is a. five seconds to create a project share a content to the buyer Something a behavior they're already doing in email and today you know yes yes we will we'll tell you if they open the email some will tell you if they click on the attachment but we will actually tell you what pages the buyers are interested in and what they're truly interested in and help suggest the more that well relevant content based on how the buyer is behaving with the content
0: now is it though there's some so we're seeing the surf convergence of sales tools uh, you know if we have a Venn diagram of you know overlapping circles there's certainly yeah. areas of overlap right. so certainly email trackers the sales development platforms right. and so on so so how are you you know how are you playing in that space how do you play with those others how do you differentiate from those others?
1: Right. Well, my advice to salespeople is analytics, especially knowing who cares and when they care. Is is now it doesn't matter what what you're using to get that. Really, if you're not using that, you're really behind the curve. You know, there's so many tools out there, and that's commoditized now. Um, you really have to have some sort of insights around which of your your opportunities, your accounts, your leads are really engaged because those are the ones you're most likely to sell to. But that's that's um, a that's a great question, though. I mean, without digressing right. too much,
0: is is and I've had other guests. We've talked about this. Is that that I think the use of sales technologies, sales automation technologies, are heavily focused. You know, across the entire, we'll just say the U.S. economy, focused heavily into the tech space. Um, you get outside the tech space, and use of these tools is is you know not very prevalent at all. Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, what do you see as really the key? Because this is you know one of my. You know, passions is you know I want to broaden the use of these tools outside of the the early adopters we see in the tech space that you know really drives their business and their productivity. How do we get those
1: benefits to to everybody else? Right. Yeah. I think I think the the reality is that a lot of those uh, companies are just they need they need leaders right they need they need some they need some companies that are doing this and they they want to hear it from within their sectors we spoke to a manufacturing company who were not even on salesforce right they were still deliberating if they should use um, salesforce or not and this is wow. a huge billion dollar company in germany and and wait and they and didn't have a crm system well they had a crm system but i won't mention their name but it was one that they should have moved away from a long time ago um, it <laughs> it took right. them about two years to deploy that but the point is they're a laggard right and they um you know three months later they're on salesforce and then and and, and then they were calling us to, to say hey this is important we want to integrate this into salesforce and 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 once they did that we had their competitor reach out to us saying hey we just lost the deal because the company that we uh, because our competitor was using this buyer portal and we googled buyer portal and we found you and, and not knowing that hey that that company was actually using in our products, right? And and so I think a lot of this behavior is is just they're just not early adopters, and they need they need a few you know um, innovators and, and 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 in the space for it to change. So I think it's with time. So, well, what
0: do you see as sort of the challenges in the space you're at? I mean, these are great tools. I huge advocate you know for tools that give intelligence and to sales reps to help them do their job, become more productive, more effective. What so? How do you see this serve? You know, nothing stays still, right? So how do you right. see this serve evolving for right. the space you're in in terms of that helping shape the buyer
1: experience, which I think is, is so utterly crucial. Right, I, I think what's really interesting is how artificial intelligence is going to help us because um, selling is is hard enough, right? We we want everything else that helps the sales rep do a better job and provide a remarkable experience to the buyer to be um, you know to be automated, right? We shouldn't have to uh, update the CRMs and we shouldn't have to you know um, just do all that manual searching of content. What's the right response here? Am I educated enough about this product? You know, all of those things should be at my fingertips, and I think the more data we have about where the buyer is at how they're behaving just puts the salesperson in the right position to respond to and, and help the buyer make a decision you know and and I think, I think in the future the company that utilizes the insights and the analytics that they capture the most in helping the buyer are the companies that are going to win you know right now I think we're focused more on how exciting the, the analytics is but who is using that data in the most intelligent way
0: yeah, and that's a good question. Who is using those that in the most intelligent way?
1: You asking me? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's we can have you're the only one I'm talking to right now. I mean the audience <laughs> could, could send in emails and tell us what they want. But but yeah, that's I think the challenge with sales technologies is adoption. Right? And how do you how do you get adopted and embedded in such a way that before the next greatest thing comes along that that might possibly supplant you?
1: Right. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. I think uh, I think the challenge most uh, companies have with adoption is it's is because well a number of reasons sometimes it's ux sometimes it's just timing right you you're in you're in a you're, you know you're too early i remember when we we started considering slack two and a half years ago we couldn't get the right the guys to use it right and now adoption is 100 percent I, I know slack uh, you know and and there are many tools like that and salesforce struggled with adoption i think it's a natural curve of hey um there are early adopters there are innovators and 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 you know that you, you i couldn't convince my grandmother to use the the iphone for you know. Eight years, right? It's just, uh, I think we just have to be patient and focused on. On, on on really understanding the use case and really understanding what the user wants, um, and and that is the, I I think we obsess too much over adoption. I guess is what I'm saying. I think you cannot have um, a 100% adoption for anything that is that is truly innovative, and and we, we just have to accept it. And if there is um I speak to a lot of uh, companies who 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 are looking for 90% 100% adoption across the board, right? And the the great ones, of course, um, ha, have a team that helps. Drive adoption, and, and we achieve that. We have a company that's using our product that has ninety eight percent adoption, and, and it's it's amazing. But they focus on that, but it's not what we should focus on. The reality is that if 60 70 percent of the, the sales force is using a great tool, right, and you're getting um, you're seeing a clear ROI, it will it, it will transpire over time. So we we have to be patient, I guess.
0: Yeah, and are you able then to track your users' experiences, as you said, so you can say, okay, yeah. Sales reps using this get a higher close rate, shorter right. price buying cycles.
1: Right. I mean, are you able to track that type of analytics? Right. 100% we can. And now we've been going for two and a half years now, so we have that data and we're using that to drive adoption. The reality is that sales reps, Believe it or not they see this data and they're skeptical. If if you have a, you know if you have someone who's been working in sales for 20, 30, 40 years and he has been doing it his own way his whole life and he's seen that somebody else is uh, is succeeding and he's still operating at 80, 90% just enough to stay in the company, you know the the is not going to convince him. What does? That's a great question though. That's a great right. a
0: great question. So what what does?
1: Right. Sometimes, Because, it's, it, yeah. because
0: <laughs> you know, a lot of these a lot of technologies that come out, they're really geared at, um, to my mind, they're really geared at sort of the, the upper crust anyway, the people that are succeeding anyway. Right. Um, and to me, one of the real power of sales technologies are if adopted by the people that, that are what I call the middle class of sales, that want to aspire to earn more, be more successful, and so on, become. You know, sort of B players and become sort of consistent B plus A minus type players, right? Then
1: you know, tools like this are really become important, right? So here's the challenge that we have as a co-founder of a tech company um, that we with with fanatical fans that love our product, but we know there are we have challenges with adoption. Here's here's the challenge we have. So the challenge is really about understanding the use case enough to simplify the product and have it really clear that if someone who is um, who is, um, let's put it this way slightly slow uh, um, uh, with a slightly slow uptake on technology accesses it he's not confused and he can use the product really easily that's really what's what it's about the challenge we have is when we see that something is exciting it's uh, it's innovative and we have a, a, a clearly you know 80 80 out of 150 of the sales reps that love it and and they're using it and they're asking us for more features and more cool stuff the challenge is hey why don't we want to build that, right? And then you you continue to build that, and of course they love it. But the problem is you you struggle with adopt, uh, with UI and UX because you're making the product too complicated. So this is the daily uh, challenges that we have: is hey, how do we simplify it for everybody, or how do we make a really um you know a really cool tool for 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 our early adopters?
0: Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think that that it really has to do a sort of with your philosophy of selling, right? I mean, to me. Keep it simple, right? Even (laughs) even people selling complex products, right? uh, Overcomplicate things. Even people are really successful. Actually, I think. Well, let me rephrase that. That wasn't correct. The people in my mind that are really successful in sales learn how to keep it simple, right? Yeah, they've they've kicked out the extraneous out of their processes, out of their lives, and you know they they focus on the things that make a difference for the buyer, right? Um, So yeah, if you can keep it simple, right. uh, I think you'll be better off.
1: Right. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I agree with you. I'm just being honest and saying that's the challenge that I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what a really premium price product is for, right? Right. And and uh, I mean, this is what we 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 focus on every day. Is hey, what are we building? What are we solving for? And it's a constant question, right? It's just that um, it's really tempting to you know to 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 solve more problems, right?
0: Yeah. Well, the question is, yeah, do the problems really become problems that are they really problems that that will move the needle for you or for the sales right, rep? Right, and I think that's always the always the challenge, right? Right. Because right. I think you nailed it right on. Is you know your adoption over time is we greater uh, with the more
1: simpler, direct, compelling value proposition that people quickly understand. Right, 100. percent But then you look at the market and you see that hey, most products today um, are complex, right? And the reason they're complex is because they 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 solve lots of problems, you know. And and you need salespeople to explain that, and you need to drive adoption with customer success. It's um, I, I completely agree with you, but I'm saying hey, this is the reality: is that you have great companies, you know, you have um, even LinkedIn, right? That is awesome, but it it struggles with with features, right? It it, it they want to solve. more. More and more problems, right? Uh, yeah, not always clear that's the case, but yeah, right. But no, it's it's. Uh, if you think of LinkedIn in the beginning, it was much easier to use. Like today, you can do a hundred things with LinkedIn, right? It's just, and that makes it harder to use. All except exporting your contacts. <laughs> Is that easy? Are you saying that's easy? No, no you can't do it. <laughs> right? Oh, they've removed that now.
0: Well, I'm not sure you can do it. I, but
1: oh, you can do that. I've done that six months ago. Yeah. Yeah,
0: But you don't know, like, well,
1: whatever. We'll yeah. get the details. A, you, yeah, know, you get about six get the point. months to find it is yeah. the point
0: I'm trying to make. Yeah, exactly. User experience, buyer experience. <laughs> Alright, so we get to the last segment of the show, which is everybody's favorite standard questions that I pose all my guests. And, Gerald, you ready? Uh, yeah, I'm, Yeah. go on. <laughs> you've been waiting. You've been studying for this part of it. So, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> So the first question is a hypothetical scenario. You've just been hired as new VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out they want you to fly over from the UK to the US to help put things right, get them unstuck. So, what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: Hmm. So, Actually, I, this is this. I have to give props to one of the, the greatest sales VPs that I've worked with, Scott White, at Rackspace. If you're listening, uh, here's what he did. He came in from from the uh, U.S. and he he came into the U.K. and we'd had a few VPs of sales, right, that had that, that had come in and left six months in, and Scott came in, quiet demeanor, came across initially like an introvert, and honest to God, he spent. About a month, not saying a single word, but interviewing every single individual in about a, maybe 100 people and spent so much time with every single individual that he, by, by, by a month or a month and a half in, he had built so much respect with the, with the team that whatever he said, he would have got us to do. And I think that's more important than whatever strategy or whatever advice that you come in to deliver. Is spend time with the human beings and get to know them. And that was extra, extraordinary for me. Okay, so that's one thing you do. What's the second thing you would do? <laughs> so after that, assuming I've learned something, right, and um, and I can I can I can deploy it. I think it's um, for me it's always about passion for something in sales. It's about energy and it's about passion for something. And going back to our mission as a a company and where we're going and why we're going and making sure that we all remember that, for me, is the most important. Okay. Good enough. So, now, some rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word
0: answers. You can elaborate if you wish. The first one is, when you, Gerald, are out selling buyer deck, right? what's your most powerful sales attribute? Ooh.
1: Uh, I think listening. I think listening. I, I, I really take my time. So I was a poor listener as a, as, a sale, as a salesperson probably the first five years. And, and it got to a point, and, um, and I, I started to do this. Whenever I wanted to speak, I would put myself on mute and speak, <laughs> and and that forced me to listen and let the and let the, uh, the, the and let the buyer sort of speak. And even those awkward silences that salespeople can't handle, and they 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 just force themselves to fill it with words. I would put myself on mute and I would say something, say the things I wanted to say, but it would be awkward and the buyer would speak. They would literally feel that, hey, um, here's a moment where I need to share why I care or what I'm interested in with them. And that practice has got me to a point where I would like to believe that um, I spend a lot of time really asking open questions and, 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 and listening. Okay. Good answer. Who's your sales role model? I have a lot. That's an unfair question, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you get one. Uh, damn. Uh, there's a guy that I worked with. He's, um, um, I, I mean, I've read so many books, but uh, Zig probably, but someone close to me, someone I worked with, um, his name is Saj Kaluji, And he, I worked with him uh, a while and I, I love that kid. He, he is, uh, yeah, he, he's my role model. Okay. One book every salesperson should read. Ooh, great question. Ah, uh, which one? Ooh, uh, any of Zig Ziglar's books.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, that's fair. Last question: What music's on your playlist? Ah, so I'm a huge um, I, um. I'm one of those guys that like everything, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm an R&B guy. I'm an I'm an old school R&B guy. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I love. If you would know this, Jagged Edge, Destiny's Child, it doesn't matter. As long as it's R&B and I can shape my hip, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wouldn't call Destiny's Child
0: on those guys uh, old school. I was thinking, yeah, old school R&B, like, you know, the OJs and uh, the oh, Temptations yeah. right. and people <laughs> like that. But That's an old, old school, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> That's too old school. Okay, so... All right, you're talking
1: like '80s and '90s old I'm school. All right. '90s, yeah. '90s, 2000s, yeah. All right, all right. That's <laughs> or, and that's when we used to call it rhythm and blues, right? It wasn't R and B then. <laughs> oh no,
0: I think that was. I'm not sure. I wouldn't even know if they'd called it R and B then. But anyway, okay. Right. So, well, thanks for being on the show. I love. Thank you. So, like, Gerald, tell people how they can get in contact with you or find out more about Buyer Deck.
1: Sure. So if you're listening to this show and you care about the buying experience, you know, doing something that makes you cut that, that delivers a truly remarkable experience for every buyer that's buying your product, please reach out to us, get, uh, go to buy forward slash giveaway for, a, I think about a week. We're giving away some licenses. We could give it well, away if you qualify. I was gonna say by the time this airs, that's not gonna be not gonna okay, be applicable that's gonna anymore. Be that's so true. Yes, no, you, you it's gonna be done. So yeah, just go to biodeck.com. Email me, Gerald at if you care about remarkable buying experiences and let's chat.
0: Yeah. Or email Gerald and they'll claim all these coupons, even though it's it's long past time. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, Gerald, appreciate you being on the show. Awesome. Thank you. I loved your show. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. And remember, friends, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate to part of your daily routine, whether you listen in the commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Gerald Vanderpoy, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.